0: We turn today to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and we begin uh, today our study of the book of Hebrews, for as long as the Lord gives us to be able to delve into uh, this book. Hebrews chapter 1, perhaps one of the most famous commentators on The book of Hebrews is a man by the name of Arthur Pink. And uh, in Pink's commentary on Hebrews, uh, it is laid out very clearly um, in in the introduction that this this book is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This book is about the fact that Jesus is supreme over all things. And that's why the work that Christ has accomplished and the covenant that Christ has established is so superior. And so as we go through this book, I'll I'll be using Pink's uh, outline of it with that idea of the supremacy of Christ. This morning, it's in regards to the supremacy of Christ over the prophets. This evening, uh, we'll finish up chapter 1, dealing with the supremacy of Christ over the angels. Why he is supreme over them. But this morning, we'll read the entire chapter. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels Of the angels, he said, he makes angels his wings and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions and sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, on the road to Emmaus, uh, their hearts burned as uh, the Word was opened to them and Christ showed himself in the Scriptures. Father, may our hearts burn again this morning as uh, the Word is brought to us. And we ask your blessing on this word. Be with Pastor Bob as he brings it. Give him everything that he stands in need of. And Father, where this word goes out, may it accomplish what you have in mind. Especially, Father, that those to those that do not know you as your Lord and Savior, once you uh, stir in their hearts by your work of your Spirit. In the precious name of our Savior, Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. So understand the the overall theme of this particular passage is the supremacy of Christ over the prophets and the supremacy of Christ over the angels. But we have to take note, first of all, of verse 1, that God did speak by the prophets. That that is unquestionable in terms of the author's understanding and teaching and inspiration. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It's a reminder of those words that the Apostle Peter gave to us in Second Peter chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1 verse 21, where we read, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy, no prophet ever spoke by his own will, but only those who are carried along by the Spirit of God. And Peter is speaking there in regards to the word. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So let us be aware of the fact that when God speaks to us through the prophets, God is speaking. It's not the prophets speaking, it's not Isaiah, it's not Jeremiah, it's not Daniel, it's not Moses, it's not David, it's not Solomon. It is God who is speaking. That, that the, See, this passage is not meant in some way to devalue the Old Testament. It is not meant in some way to say, well, that's unimportant. That's unneeded. That's unnecessary. No, in fact, what the passage does is it elevates it. It says, this is not the words of men. This is the word of God. And so as we read, as we study, as we contemplate the Old Testament... Let us remember, this is not some bygone word. This is not some past word. This is the word of God to us as well. Secondly, note how the author puts this. Long ago. Long ago. Why that expression? Why the expression of long ago? Because it's been a while since God has spoken. We we understand here, you see, that the author is is saying and speaking to that which occurred before the New Testament, before John the Baptist comes on the scene as the one who announces the coming of the Lord. There had been a 400-year period of time of no speaking, 400 years. Now Think about that in context. 400 years is longer than the United States has been a nation. 400 years. And there was silence. No word of the Lord. No message through a prophet. But then we begin going back. Prior to that had had been another 100 years since there had been an outpouring of God's Spirit upon prophets. And you, and you go back a thousand years, two thousand years, three thousand years, long ago. See, he, the, 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 the author is getting us to understand that the word of God is an ancient word. It's from of old. It's long ago. God has been speaking to his people since creation. But notice verse 1 as well. Long ago at many times and in many ways. God didn't just drop things out of heaven on some gold plates hid underneath some tree, right? As, As the Mormons believe their Book of Mormon come about. It's in many ways by many people. There was a variety of ways by which God communicated, by which God revealed His Word to people. There wasn't just one single way. Go back with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 12. Numbers, chapter 12. This is uh, when Miriam and Aaron revolt against Moses. And, And, you know, they wanted part of, of the authority that Moses had and they wanted part of the, the revelation, part of the office that Moses possessed, okay? That, that's what's at the beginning of, of this passage. But then the Lord came, he met with them. He said, you guys show up, you show up at the tent of meeting and we're gonna have some words. And the Lord now addresses Moses, Aaron and Miriam. And these are the words that God utters. Verse 6. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. Now we know the, the part of what happens. Miriam gets the, the leprosy and then there's the cure, the, the time after she has been separated from the camp. But for this purpose, note how God says, look, I speak. And when I speak to the prophets, I speak sometimes in a vision. Sometimes I give them a vision. That's the way I communicate at times. I, I give them a, a, a picture by which they can see. Sometimes I come to them and I give them a dream. Right? We, we've been, uh, our men's Bible study Wednesday mornings, we, we started the book of Daniel. And, And we're getting into this section of God coming and communicating through those dreams. Sometimes God chooses to do that. Sometimes it's face to face. Notice God says, sometimes I do it in a riddle. So when the author of Hebrews says that God comes at many times. He didn't just come once, speak, and that's it. He has come over and over and over again, thinking of the Old Testament. Through those thousands of years, God came to many different individuals and in many different ways. God was not bound by the means by which he revealed himself, his will, his plan, his purposes to his people. God spoke, God spoke long ago, God spoke via, by a variety of means, and he spoke to our fathers. Now the book is entitled Hebrews. And the reason it is called Hebrews is this is the message, the revelation of God to the Jews. As best we can figure out, the author never identifies himself by name. But as we look through the book, there are references that are made. References of association with Timothy. References in terms of terms that are used. Continually come back to one particular author that we find in the New Testament. And that is the Apostle Paul. And because it's going to be difficult as I go through this to keep saying the writer, the writer, the writer, I'll probably slip in once in a while to saying Paul. With the understanding that that would seem to be the most likely author of this book. But there is another tie-in to this particular text. If we go to the book of Acts, chapter nine, book of Acts, chapter nine, when Paul is commissioned to be the missionary, in chapter nine, verse fifteen, Paul receives this commission from the Lord Jesus. Start with me at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now it's interesting that order, isn't it? God is telling the prophet... That it's okay to go to baptize Paul, Saul, because he is my chosen instrument. And he's my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. Think of Paul's life. Think of those missionary tours. Think of Paul going out among the Gentiles. Think of as we come to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is standing before governors, before kings, testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to my people Israel. Paul never forgot about the people of Israel. You read in Romans his passion. For the Jewish people that they would come to know Christ. You read of Paul going to the synagogues in those towns to, to bring the message of Jesus Christ. Would it not seem likely then that at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, he comes back to that passage. Go to the Gentiles, go to the kings, but go to my people as well. This book is a plea. It is a plea to the Jewish people to come to know the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And it is a reminder to the Gentiles and to you and I that Christ is indeed supreme. We need to know that today. You're going to need to know that Wednesday morning. You're going to need to know that five years down the road. You're going to need to know that ten years down the road. Christ is supreme. He is the supreme revelation of God to you and I. How does it say it in Hebrews? Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our father's by the prophets, but in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God spoke the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into this world as that babe of Bethlehem, as that boy fleeing with his parents to Egypt, as the boy who returns to the temple, as the boy who grows and begins a ministry who calls disciples who performs miracles who teaches who goes to the cross who dies a horrible death who is raised on the 3rd day who is ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God and is coming again to judge all men in equity God has spoken. That is God speaking in revelation to you and I. In these last days. Notice how the the author, Paul, if you would, understands the time in which he's living. See, there are long ago days and there are last days. That would be a good means by which for you and I to always read the New Testament. Those who wrote understood they were living in the last days. Why? Because they are after the coming of Christ. That's why they are last. They are not before with all the prophecies about the coming, they are about the Christ who has come. They are about the Christ who rules. They are about the Christ who reigns. God has spoken to us in these last days. I think we oftentimes think of those last days as sometime beyond our era, some other time, some future time. No, these are the last days. Do you hear, Paul, remember back in in Timothy when we were there the last several weeks? In the last days, men will accumulate for themselves. Those who have, will satisfy their itching ears. Men will become lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, prideful, arrogant, abusive. In the last days. When are the last days? Ever since Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. Another way to understand that which the the author here is telling us is that He has spoken to us. In other words, He is the fulfillment of all prophecy. He is the fulfillment of all that those prophets spoke about. In speaking of the Messiah. In speaking of the Savior. In speaking of the Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. That's why we... we, We'll sing. We sang one already. We'll sing it at the close of our service as well. Uh, uh, A Christmas carol that we usually associate with a particular time. But it really isn't. It's a reminder for us of the fact that Jesus Christ has come and that is the speaking of God. From his conception to his ascension. This is God speaking to us by his son who as the king continues to rule and reign and to speak and to command his people. He has come in these last days. But why is he supreme? See, he's making the point, right? There, there's kind of a superlative here, right? Verse 1, he spoke to us by the promise, prophets long ago in many ways to many different people. But now, see, in these last days, The superlative, in a better revelation, in a clearer revelation. Perhaps we'd use the word in a more profound revelation. Maybe we should use this word. In a more supreme revelation, God has now spoken. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, why is that revelation? Why is God speaking through the Son superlative or supreme above all other revelations? Let's pick the next couple of verses apart. In these last days, verse 2, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Why is the revelation through the Son supreme? Because the Son is the heir. The prophets are not the heirs. The Son is the heir of all things. Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 9, because we'd say, well, what is the, he the air of. Well, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9, another passage that we reflect upon as a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. When God speaks through the coming of his Son, he's speaking about the coming of the heir. Verse 6, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is the heir. The heir of what? He is the heir to the throne. And his government, his rule, his reign shall have no end. We bow, we kneel to no one but Jesus Christ. To him and to him alone is our allegiance. Our brothers and sisters in China understand this. They understand that there is no allegiance to their government. Their allegiance, they bow only to Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries understand this. Their allegiance is only to Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who preceded us through the great reformations understand that our allegiance is only to Christ. Why? Because of the increase of His government, there is no end. He is the heir. That's why He can say in Matthew chapter 28 All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the heir. I have received all authority. All power. I am the one in absolute control. It is why in John chapter 5, I believe it is when the devil comes and tempts, right? Okay? We, ha- we have the, the idea of bow down and I'll give you all this. And Jesus says, no way. No way. You worship God. Why? Because it's all mine anyway, Satan. Satan. It's a false temptation. It already is mine. It's been given to me by my Father. And I trust that promise of my Father. That's what the entire book of Revelation is revealing to us. The rule and reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When? thousand years from now? No. Right at this moment. See, there's no prophet who can lay claim to that. There's no prophet who can lay claim to the fact that they are the heir. The heir of the throne of David. They are the heir of all power and all authority. They are heir to all that there is. They are the heir to being in absolute control. No prophet can say that. So when God speaks through the Son, the supremacy of that revelation Third, it's also because, note, he is the creator. He is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Now, can Isaiah lay claim to that? Can Ezekiel lay claim to that? Can Daniel lay claim to that? Can Moses lay claim to that? Can Moses say, I am a prophet, okay? He could go back to write Numbers, Numbers chapter 12 and say, look what God just said. He speaks to me face to face. So I have the rightful claim to say that I am the creator of the world. Well, we'd go, of course not. Moses can't do that. There's no prophet. There's no prophet in the Old Testament who could lay claim to being the creator of the world, So here it is. The creator of the world is now revealed to us in the Son. That's why the revelation of God to us in Jesus Christ is supreme. It's not that God isn't revealing. It isn't that God isn't speaking truth. It's the elevation of the revelation that comes to us in Christ. Because he is the creator and any form of explaining the existence of this world that negates Christ is antichrist see if you're all worried about the day and age in which we live and the government control and 666 why in the world would you subject your children to the antichrist Theory, because that's what it is. It is the theory of the Antichrist that in some way this world was not created by Jesus Christ. Any explanation of the existence of this world that denies Christ is Antichrist. Through whom he made the world. So if I teach your children, no, it's not that way. It happened through a Big Bang. That's Antichrist. That's not just anti-creation. Now that's not just anti-Genesis. That's anti-Christ. We need to understand the impact of that. The impact of that importance. The creator of the world has Spoken. God has revealed this glorious truth. Why is the revelation of God in Christ supreme? Because Christ is the creator of the world. No one else can lay claim and any explanation of this world's existence apart from that is antichrist see we got to understand folks we've been participating in an antichrist movement for years where have we been We've been participating in the Antichrist movement. Well, maybe that which is happening, maybe that which is God is bringing upon us now is a wake-up call. Hey, listen, understand, where you are today is only a consequence of the fact that you have denied my son as the creator of this world. You've paid for it. You've bankrolled it. You've enrolled your children in it. And you've allowed them to learn it. And you haven't even bothered to take a few moments to correct it. He is the creator. Understand the supremacy of that revelation. Of how gracious God has been. In allowing us to know the revelation. Through his son, who is not only the heir but who is also the creator of this world and all that there is, but he's not done, he is the radiance of the glory of God, he doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In his commentary on this section, Simon Kistemacher writes the following. The word radiance is to be preferred to variations of the word reflection, which many translations provide. The moon receives its light from the sun and simply reflects these light beams to the earth. The moon itself does not possess or emanate light because it does not produce light. The sun as a heavenly body radiates its light in all its brightness and power to the earth. By way of comparison, we may see Christ as the radiant light coming from the Father as sunlight emanates. From the sun. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is light and in him there is no darkness. He radiates the light of God's glory, perfection and majesty. Jesus' radiance is derived from the Father even though he himself is the light. The sun causes the radiance of the Father to shine forth. As John writes in the prologue of his gospel, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one And only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Son's radiance, therefore, is an extension of God's glory. Who has God spoken to us by? (laughs) The one who is the radiance of his own glory. Think of that in context if we go back to Moses, right? Moses uh, has an opportunity to to speak with God. God says, okay, you hide behind the rock and I'll I'll walk past with my back. Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is so glowing with glory that the people say, we can't look at you. You've got to shield your face in some way. Christ is the radiant. The glory of God. See God isn't holding back. God isn't just saying. I'll give you some revelation. I'll give you a little bit. God. Has revealed. His son. To us. Not just a reflected light. But the radiant. The glory of God. Why? Listen to the next part. And the exact imprint of his nature. This is no secondary, this is no second level. Many believe that the the author here is is thinking about the seal that was used at that particular time. Whether the king's seal or some sort of government document that would indicate the exact representation of that which was on the ring. That the seal was the exact representation of the ring. There was no distinction, you see. If If a document bore the king's seal, that was the king. See, there's no distinction there. There's no separation. This is what the king says because it's sealed. This is the king's words. Christ is the exact imprint of God. For he is God. Athanasian Creed. Over and over and over and over again. In all those various ways, right? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, what? They're all God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And there there, there, there were, were, we're just blown back. Right, The child inside of Mary, the exact imprint of God. The child making its way through Mary's birth canal. The exact imprint of God. The child in the manger, an exact imprint of God. The Christ hanging upon a cross, the exact imprint of God. an amazing thing this text is, right? But now God has spoken to us through his son. Who is God in all his fullness, in all his being? But he's not done. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, he upholds the universe. He isn't only the creator. He is the upholder. The power, the strength, the wisdom, the inexhaustible energy. The unity, the cohesiveness. Which is true not only of his word, but it's true of his reign and rule. Whatever the outcome of Tuesday's elections are when whenever we get the result of what those results are, Christ will not be surprised. He's not going to go, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, now what am I going to do? Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling Reigning and upholding this universe. He will not be shocked. He will not be surprised. His trust in the Father is not going to erode. He's not going to go off in a corner and have a pity party. He's going to rule and uphold Wednesday as much as he does Tuesday, as much as he does Monday, as much as he does today, as much as he did yesterday, and as much as he will do throughout all of eternity. Christ, the King, rules. See, isn't this just an amazing comfort? I would expect that probably 95% of us in this room, maybe 100% of us in this room, have a way we'd like to see things turn out from this election. We, We have a way we want that to happen. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who upholds this universe in all wisdom, power, and strength, might have a different plan and a different idea than you and I. And we might say, well, it'd sure be nice if Christ's plan were my plan. Maybe it'd be better for us to say, it'd sure be nice if my plan came from Christ. It might be better for us to look at it and say, Christ's plan is my plan. Because he's going to rule regardless. Wednesday is a day to worship. To worship the King of Kings, to worship the Lord of Lords. Regardless of which way elections go, regardless if your candidate wins or loses or issues, whatever. Whatever. You might be on a euphoric high on Wednesday. I hope it's because Christ is the king. And he rules. Oh, there's one more, but we'll attach it to the evening service tonight and conclude with that. But let's reflect upon that, right? Why are those angels celebrating at his birth? Because they already know. (laughs) This is the king. This is it. God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Oh, the love of God for you and I. He wants us to hear. He wants us to listen. He wants us to know. And he wants us to be in relationship. With his son. That's why he spoke to us through him. It's God's call. Come. Come. Come and know your savior. Come and know your king. And God's people say. Amen. Father we do thank you for your word. It is a living breathed out word from you. And we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise for it. Father, we do acknowledge. We do acknowledge our limitations as man. We understand, Father, that we are but mortal. And to, to fully understand and comprehend that which you have given to us in your word, Lord is beyond us as human beings to do. But you see, Father, that's why in your grace you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might know, that we might see, that we might understand. And so, Father, this morning, if we've but caught caught a portion of this, Father, it's not because we're so wise. It's not because we're so smart. It's only because of your grace. Oh, Father, open our eyes wide as we make our way through this book to the glory and the supremacy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that, Father, we may live, we may live that truth today, tomorrow, whatever life brings to us. For we seek to live our life glorifying Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and God's people again say, Amen.